Welcome to Excel Radio with Dr. Nick Zarowski, where we talk with world-class entrepreneurs, executives, and health experts who have unlocked the secrets to Excel Health and performance. Hi, and welcome to Excel Radio. This is your host and high-performance expert, Dr. Nick Zarowski. In this episode, I bring on Michael Gelb. Michael is a best-selling author and a sought-after speaker who teaches people on creativity, innovation, and leadership. In this episode, we're going to discover how to become a more creative leader, how to find innovative business solutions, how to align and inspire the team around you, and also develop a culture of innovation in the workplace. There's a question that was submitted by Linda, and Linda asked, I have so many food and medicinal intolerances, I was wondering what supplements you would recommend. Many times intolerances, whether it's food or medicinal, it's related to the gut. And so your overall gut health, whether it's leaky gut, um, an imbalance in the microbiome, so that means bacterial imbalances, um, possibly SIBO, um, all these different food intolerances are very much related to the gut and just intolerances in general. And now when you have your body reacting to everything, whether it's just your, you know, allergies, you know, your entire environment. Once again, having a healthy gut helps the balance the immune system in a huge way. So what I would recommend doing is our gut healing package. Our gut healing package has uh, probiotics in it. It encompasses um, clearing the toxins out of your gut, repairing the gut lining using enzymes in order to help digest the food you're consuming and it really hits every piece to that puzzle when it comes to gut healing and overall people are seeing some great and some incredible results with their gut in balancing their immune system by the use of the gut healing package i hope you enjoy the show hey michael thank you for joining us on the show today my pleasure great to be with you Awesome. So first of all, congratulations on your brand new book. That's super exciting. Um, Your book, The Art of Connection. I want to jump right into this because I know this is the hot topic that you have been discussing lately and your followers are all hyped up about. Um, (laughs) Go ahead and tell us about the new book, The Art of Connection. Well, thank you. Yes, it's it's a book I've been wanting to write for for a long time because – as I go around the world teaching people about the skills of creative thinking, as I teach them how to build an innovative culture, mostly been asked to focus on how do you generate new ideas? How do you make connections between those ideas? What are the phases of the creative problem solving process? How do you get people to share those ideas effectively? But the, the most important element, the critical element, is how do you really implement new ideas? And that requires good relationships. So I decided that I would put together what I've learned about how leaders can build really great relationships, the kind of relationships that create the context for manifesting your creativity, for what you know, what people call it an, an innovative culture. An innovative culture is based on really good relationships. So what can all of us do to build those kind of relationships? And even though you know I work with, with businesses all over the world, 
my model of working with business people is I never, ever, ever forget that they're people. <laughs> and the human aspect, the, the fact is, the skills that are going to make you really successful in the long term in building relationships at business, guess what? They're also the skills that are going to help you have a much happier and more fulfilling life in terms of your personal life, your, your family, your kids, your friends. So to me, there is no, there's no separation. Uh, and, and so I've gone for these really universal skills that, that we all can develop for building those kinds of great relationships. Very cool. Now, when you talk about building relationships, are we talking about friendships? Are we talking about workplace environment relationships? What, what are we talking about here? Exactly. We're talking about both. Okay. We're talking about both. And that that's the thing is, uh, you know, what I'm looking at are, are what are the deeper core elements, the, the real deep skills for you to work on? I mean, there's, you know, there's plenty of books about you know, how to be a better networker and how to follow up and uh, how to you know, give a firm handshake and all that stuff. That's not what this book is. Uh, uh, this goes way deeper to the, to the really profound things that we need to all consider if we're going to continue to deepen our relationships as the years go by. And you know, for me, I've been in business for 38 years and I'm just warming up for the next 38 years and many of my clients over those years have become really really good friends and guess what when my clients become really really good friends they go out of their way to get me even more business <laughs> mm -hmm. so so when I talk about they're not being a separation between the world of business and the world of a friendship. It's predicated on my own real experience of, of people who are really dear to me, who've also helped me generate tremendous revenue for my business. So yeah, it's all connected. Very good. So let's, let's talk about some of these, these deep ways to connect with people. What are some of the different techniques that you teach people on how to connect at a deeper level versus just, you know, a surface business level? Great. Well, that's a, a wonderful question. Thank you. So the, the first thing is to recognize the importance of connecting. Uh, a lot of the times, especially in, in the US, you know, we're, we're very goal focused. We're very close the sale oriented and people focus on the transaction rather than the connection and look i'm as i'm as focused as anybody on getting them to sign the deal and you know we we say you know it's the deal isn't done until the check clears the bank so i'm focused uh, but what i've re i've really learned that the Valuing the people that I'm interacting with and putting people first and and trying to focus on meeting the needs of the people that I am interacting with uh, uh, and making that a primary consideration. Uh, and this is not just a general good business principle. It's especially useful if there's a challenge or a conflict or a difficult negotiation is to remember to connect with the people first. So I actually created a motto in Latin, it's uh, conjugere ad salvendum, and that translates as connect, 
before solving. So if you have an issue, if you have a problem, look first to build your rapport, your sense of connection with the other people involved. So that's the first thing to understand. Then we get to the, to the actual skills to cultivate. And the first one, I call it embrace humility. And by that, I mean that one of the surprising secrets of being a really, really good communicator is to be genuinely respectful of just how challenging an art communication is. So in the book, I, I start out, we, we, do, we do an exercise that I do in, in workshops for many years where we get people to think of their first 10 associations we do a word association exercise and we give them a simple word like art you know it's in the title the art of connection so we say write down your first 10 words that you think of when you think of the word art and then we put people in groups of four and we say find out how many words you all have in common how many times did all four of you have the same word how many times did three of you have the same word how many times did two of you have the same word and how many words were unique? And it, it always amazes people when they discover just how different their associations are on any given word. You can do this with any word and people's associations are wildly different. So what it suggests is that chances are if you're communicating especially if you're relying just on words and that's part of why communication has gotten worse in the age of email and texting chances are you're going to be misunderstood so if you understand that you're just going to be a lot more humble about uh, your approach to communication which means that instead of assuming that you got your message across or assuming that you understood what somebody else was sharing with you, you're going to be a little more curious and you're going to follow through. So if, you know, if, when I'm doing this in a live seminar, when I know I can feel I get people to leave the first session and I can see that they, they, they're humble, they think, oh my God, uh, no wonder my relationships haven't been working out so well. No wonder, because I'm always assuming that, well, because I said it and it looks like they nodded that they must have gotten it. But everybody is familiar with the regular uh, conversation, which somebody says, oh, but I thought you meant something else. Well, right. that shouldn't be surprising us now. That's what you can expect. So if you embrace humility, you'll be embracing curiosity and you're on your way to becoming a much more effective communicator. Okay. Okay, so that's where it all starts. And then the second, the second skill is what I call being a glow worm. And this is, this is taken from a, one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite leaders, Winston Churchill. Uh, Winston Churchill once said, we are all worms, but I do believe that I am a glow worm. <laughs> okay, so, you're going to have to okay. explain that one. I will. Well, <laughs> well, you know, Winston Churchill was one person who inspired 
an entire nation. He didn't just save Great Britain. He saved probably all of Western civilization. And he did it by being positive, by sending out a positive glow in the midst of a very dark situation. So his courage, his optimism in the face of adversity was contagious. Now, one of the things we've learned, people have always understood this anecdotally. We always know, people know that there's some people who it's, it's just, you want to be around those people because their, their energy seems to be contagious. Now, their positive mm -hmm. attitude seems to be contagious. And it turns out that the opposite is true. And what we now know, uh, this is now research validated. Uh, I interviewed one of the leading neuroscientists in the world, actually the world expert on mirror neurons, Dr. Marco Iacoboni of UCLA. And it turns out that emotions really are contagious. Emotions really are contagious for better or for worse. So if you are somebody who looks for the best in others, it turns out you bring out the best in others and vice versa. So uh, go into this in some detail in, in the book. It's, worth, it's actually worth, we'll take a moment here, to just I'll, I'll tell you about the research into what they call the Pygmalion effect. This is an example of what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, it's also known as the Rosenthal effect after the psychologist who did the pioneering work here. And they did one of these first experiments they did with army drill sergeants. Okay, so army drill sergeants are pretty hard-headed characters. And they told these army drill sergeants that the recruits that they were going to get for the next six weeks were below average. And sure enough, at the end of the six weeks, those recruits performed about 25% below average. So then they told the army drill sergeants that the next group of recruits they were going to get were above average. And sure enough, at the end of the six weeks, those recruits performed about 25% above average. Well, guess what? Both of them were absolutely average groups of recruits. The only difference was the expectation that the drill sergeants were given. Yet that expectation translated into a huge difference in performance. In other words, when, when, when the drill sergeants had a negative expectation about the ability of the recruits, at the end of six weeks, those recruits were able to do fewer push-ups than an average group. When they had an expectation that these were going to be the best, they could do more push-ups. And I've done the same kind of experiment in schools. You tell teachers that these are gifted children, guess what? Their IQ scores go up. You tell teachers that these are uh, problematic children and they have behavior problems and their scores go down. So in other words, expectation influences performance. And it doesn't do this in some mystical woo-woo way. It does it because what they've tried to figure out how does this happen? And the way it happens is when you have a negative expectation from someone, you tend to your body language when you look at them, your facial expression, your eye contact is not supportive. It doesn't encourage them. When you have a positive expectation, you tend to, they, they see teachers are nodding when the children's thinking and they're being much more encouraging. And so it's mediated by nonverbal behavior. Uh, 
but the point is your attitude, your expectation for others has a huge effect on their performance. So think about how this applies in a business. You know, if you're if you're expecting people uh, to be goof offs, if you're expecting them to underperform, if you're expecting them to be unethical, guess what you're probably going to get. Uh, so how do you create a culture uh, of positive expectation? It helps to understand the Pygmalion effect. That's just one of the little gems in uh, in the glowworm chapter. Okay, I mean that's that's interesting because yeah, I could just see it. You know, if you if you were told that you were going to have a rock star group of employees, you'd probably go in there and you'd be like, all right, you know, we're going to do big things together. We're going to, you know, we're going to. You would just have your mind would be going, you know, wild with these huge expectations of you know really doing well together. But if you were told that you know they're all a bunch of rough characters and, and you couldn't <laughs> right. trust them, you would just be you wouldn't get anywhere. You would actually just be like looking out for uh, for uh, them, you know, stealing from you. It just your mind would go in a completely different place and ultimately make them operate at a much different level. So that is, is very very interesting concept. Right. It's and it, and it magnifies, too, because, if you know, if you have a whole leadership team that's looking at others in a negative way, well, that then it's magnified and you wonder why your turnover is so high. You wonder why nobody wants to work for you. Mm -hmm. uh, plus, you talk you talk to people uh, and you ask them, who was the best boss you ever had? Who was the best coach you ever had? Who was the best teacher you ever had? Who was the person in your life who made the greatest positive difference for you? Every single time that person will tell you it was somebody who expected the best from them. It was somebody who looked to the best in them and insisted that they could do more than they thought they could. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's something over the years I've been working with various leaders to try to uh, create a, a business culture where we all look at each other this way and it's it, it's a much better place to be around i'm telling you <laughs> right no i mean right? it, it's it's interesting too i mean even people talk about like you know uh, guys who worked with steve jobs and he they would say like wow he he got us to do things we never thought we could do you know he got us to be great um i don't know he was necessarily the best uh you know the, i wouldn't the, want to work for him yeah i was gonna say, i don't know that he treated people the best but you know no. he he got people to go beyond their limits you know that they set for themselves so that, that's an interesting thing too yes. you know yes yes so, so so far i have embraced humility become a glow worm now is there more steps beyond this oh yeah there's five more steps oh boy we better we better, we better continue on then okay uh, uh, so the next one uh, i call it achieve the three liberations and really simply I mean, these are real this is what i mean by this, this stuff is deep it's simple but it's really deep and it's the something you need to work on i need to work on we all do the rest of our lives but the three liberations are free yourself from looking at everything in terms of whether you like it or you don't like it which is harder and harder to do today because everything on you know on the Internet has a thumbs up button or a thumbs down button. And, and why do they have that? Because they know that the lower parts of our brain are hardwired for survival. So like means it will help me get what I want uh, uh, 
and not like means it won't help me get what I want. Uh, but it's a very automatic, reflexive way of responding. And leaders can't afford to be operating everything by their own personal like and dislike. Uh, that's not how you're going to be somebody who can look at the welfare of an enterprise and the welfare of a whole group of people, right. uh, which relates to the second liberation, which is liberate yourself from taking everything personally. Uh, it's it's a really important, really deep lifetime practice. Uh, you know, and I, I speak from I'm, I'm something, you know, my my instinct, my nature is to take everything personally. Uh, and it never leads to the best uh, response. So I've, I've learned to, you know, I ask myself the question when somebody says something or does something that I really don't like. I ask myself, well, how would I view this if I didn't take it personally? <laughs> and then, you know, it's amazing how much more creative your thinking is, how much better uh, uh, able you are to be objective and thoughtful and intelligent. I mean, you know, a lot of what we're talking about here is just how do you access real intelligence instead of prejudice and, and automatic, unconscious uh, uh, response. And then the third one is freedom from whining, blaming, and complaining. <laughs> Uh, which uh, obviously is not uh, uh, constructive, not productive, but it is a big part of what a lot of people spend their time and their energy doing every day. Uh, uh, so we, you know, in the book we go, there's lots, I, I share with the readers a lot of the uh, practices that I've developed over the years for working on this uh, process of freeing ourselves from these from these tendencies so that we can, you know, this will make, and again, you can see how obvious it is if you, if you learn to look at things in a more objective way, instead of just, well, I like it. I don't like it. If you learn to not take everything personal, if you're not complaining and whining, uh, you think that might make you a better parent, a better partner, as well as a better boss or a better colleague, of course. So these are, that's why you see these things cross over between business and our personal lives. But they're really important in business, especially this is all really important in business today, more than ever before, because uh, you know, younger people in the workplace have more of a sense of what's possible than any previous generation. So in addition to you know, earning a living and getting benefits, they want to there's more of a sense of the best people anyway. They want to work in a place where it's fun to be there, where right. they feel like they can grow and learn and they want a feeling that they're doing something useful, that there's a purpose, that there's some positive difference that they're making. Mm -hmm. So, so in order to create that, you know, leaders have to wake up and, and create this more positive environment. So they, this is part of what goes into it. Okay. Uh, all right. So then the next one, and these, you know, you can see the other thing, the way these are, are set up uh, is that they one builds on the other. So you start out with, uh, you know, if you're, if you have, if you know the, okay, connect first to do that. Don't assume that I know, let me be more curious and open. Let me recognize that emotions are contagious. Uh, so let me consider how I'm, uh, uh, that the expectation I'm putting out for other people is actually having an effect on them for better or worse. Let me 
free myself from my prejudices uh, and from whining, complaining, and from taking things personally. So then I can uh, do what is the fourth of the skills that we cover in the book. I call this transcend fixations. Transcend fixations. And what that means, what that means, fixation is another way of saying we all have hard wiring. We all Mm -hmm. have uh, our proclivities and tendencies. Yep. And you know maybe uh, if you work in any kind of uh, business, large firm of any sort, uh, chances are after a little while they're going to give you some kind of personality profile, some kind of uh, communication style uh, test. You'll get the Myers Briggs. Uh, you'll get a Hogan assessment. You'll get a color assessment. You know, there's different names from different uh, types. The, the thing is. It is important to learn what type you are. You know, if you're an introvert, if you're an extrovert, the way you respond in a meeting, the way your style of leadership is going to be different, just to be as the simplest distinction we can mm-hmm. make. These can get very complex. But the key thing is figure out what your type is and then figure out what's what are the types of the people that you work with. Mm-hmm. Then figure out how to move beyond the limitations and the habits of your type. Mm-hmm. So, and you can see, like, this is why, why is this profound? Because that's not something you're going to just get in, you know, a weekend seminar or even just from reading this book. This book will set you on the path to how to do that. Uh, uh, and it's, it, it's life changing to, you know, when you realize, oh, you know, this is just the way I'm wired. That's what. That's why these these systems can be so useful. If you have, if you get a good, you know, uh, if you do the Enneagram, for example, which is one of my favorites, and have somebody who's really good at interpreting it with you, you get amazing insight into why you are the way you are. And once you know that, you also have some ideas about how you can bring out your best qualities. Okay. And you get insights into why you get along or don't get along with somebody else and what you can do about it. I got you. So, you know, so that's, I mean, that's just a, that could be by itself. That's, that's years and years of study, but it's, it's, it's something you get started on right away with, with some of the, some of the guidance that's in this chapter. Gotcha. Now I've used the Colby assessment. Is that along the same lines as what you're talking about? Colby. I don't know if I know that one, but Colby. uh, Okay. Yeah, uh, but that's a, you know my thing. What I tell people is I'm not some. I know some people who are you know they treat the assessment system that they're into like their religion, and my thing is I actually encourage people to do different assessments. So I've done the Myers Briggs, I've done the Enneagram, I've had a Hogan assessment, uh, and uh, somebody did the color profile thing. I've had the Wilson Learning, uh, uh, and what I've done is. What's really where it gets really interesting is when they're all telling you the same thing. Maybe it's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some people right, don't like right? what they uh, see on those or hear on those. But yeah, I yeah. mean, but for the people who are willing to grow, I mean, you 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 want to be able to look at those things and say, okay, here's where my downfalls are. Here where here's where I can improve. You know, we all expect, right. you know, uh, employees to improve or. Um, you know, other people around us to improve, but we also have to improve ourselves too. Big time, 
big time. And when you have this kind of self-knowledge and you understand yourself better, you start to become actually more compassionate towards yourself. Mm -hmm. You understand, you don't beat yourself up because, you know, I'll give you a personal example. I mean, I, the, my type is interested in lots of things. I, you know, why do I, I'm always writing books on different subjects and uh, exploring new ideas because I get very restless. I, I get bored really easily. So I realized that something really important for me was to learn to be quiet, to develop the ability to just be quiet, be by myself. So I started, I mean, I learned to meditate. That was really helpful. And I started going for a walk in the woods every day. We live right near this beautiful park land. So, uh, and at first I'd go for a walk in the woods. You know, I'd take my phone with me and I thought it was a good time to make some business calls. I said, uh-uh. The phone, I leave the phone at home or I just shut it off. Uh, and I take an hour of silence. And I cannot tell you the benefit uh, that I've, I've experienced. It's just so wonderful. And it's just the opposite of what my my habit would be just, no, I could be on the phone, I could be making calls, I could be getting stuff done, I could be you know, uh, writing a, a blog post, I could be doing this, I could be doing that. No, I'm gonna take this time every single day for not doing, for being quiet, for being by myself. So figure out what your strongest uh, tendency is and then cultivate the opposite. <laughs> that's, uh, that's one of the lessons. From, okay. uh, from chapter four. And then uh, chapter five is balance energy exchange. So this, this is, um, in, the, in the introduction to the book, I talk about how energy is the new currency. Energy and attention are the new currencies that, I mean, if you think about it, just practical business terms, you know, 10 years ago, the the highest market capitalization companies were oil companies, and today they are companies that trade in information, advertising, and attention. We're talking about Facebook, mm -hmm. uh, Google, and so on. Uh, so energy is, is what you bring to any given relationship, and other people are coming with the energy that they may or may not be contributing. Now, you probably, you know, you've been around businesses, anybody's been around a business, you know when you walk into any business, if you're paying attention to it, you get a sense of what's the energy here. And if there's positive energy, if there's uplifting energy, chances are that the leadership in that organization is really good. And if the energy is kind of depressing or not quite right, chances are the leadership's not so good. And I'm talking in a really practical way. I mean, you know, I I'm I I like to cook. I, I don't I don't go out to dinner all that often because I'm you know I'm on the road a lot, so clients are taking me out. Uh, so when I'm home, I like I like to cook. But every now and then, we go out. Uh, or if you know if I'm on the road and I'm by myself and I'm not with a client, I have to go explore and find a restaurant. So, you know, I read the reviews online uh, and, and maybe they look good, but I get to the place and 
if the energy isn't right, I don't want to eat there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like if I walk into your store, and and it does, I don't feel like anybody cares that I'm there. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a big. Uh, I have a, a wine collection. I love wine. I walk into a wine store. If 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 I can, if I see that they're treating me, if if it's sort of one of these wine snobby type situations, where they're acting like they're you know they're too good to talk to me. I'm out of there. Right. Uh, so, you know, it cost them a lot of money because I actually spend a lot of money on wine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, atmosphere. I actually a... know what I'm talking about, too. So, but yeah. if, in other words, if energy's not welcoming, why should I, why should I do business with you? Mm-hmm. Energy's a big deal. You know, you walk into a grocery store, you walk into a restaurant. I mean, you can yeah, feel the energy yeah. immediately. Like, you know, do, I, do you feel welcome? Do you not feel welcome? Is it awkward? You know, you name right. it. Right, right, right. You got it. So, so that what this chapter is all about is how do you create a balance of energy exchange so that there's an abundance of positive energy in in all your relationships. Mm-hmm. And there's some really interesting academic research here. A lot of it done by uh, uh, Adam Grant, the professor at Wharton. So I drew heavily on his work. And then, if if the energy is out of balance, what do you do to fix it? So that's where you know learning how to give feedback. Okay, very good. Uh, so that it's really actionable and you can help adjust the balance of the energy exchange. So, uh, and that leads us to chapter six, which is on how to become the listener that you think you are, but most people around you don't agree with. <laughs> Everybody thinks they're above average listener, uh, but it's, you know, it's a lot like driving. Everybody thinks that they're an above average driver. But what's fascinating, if you talk to people and say, well, how are the drivers where you live? They say, oh, you can't believe how bad the people are here. I mean, you know, so I I live in the New York area. Mm -hmm. Uh, People say, you know, are you kidding me? You know, the West Side Highway, people are insane. Or in New Jersey, the Turnpike, uh, you know, in California, it's the 405. Don't even think about it. Uh, In D.C., oh, the Beltway, worst drivers here in D.C. But then talk to people who, who drive in Brazil uh, or Italy or, or India and makes this place look like paradise. Uh, <laughs> but but the point is everybody's quite happy to say that other people are lousy drivers, but they're sure that they must be a really, really good driver. And, and pretty much everybody will tell you how bad other people are at listening, but of course they are the one true savior of the world of listening. Well, guess what? think again <laughs> right right so this is the chapter for anybody who's who's really interested in going deep into how to be the listener that that everybody you know wishes that you were <laughs> and if you think that'll help you in business which it will it, it's probably the most important skill in being a parent or in being uh, happily married for example mm-hmm. exactly uh, yeah uh, and, and again, I give, you know, I give, I give, this is stuff I've been working on myself, thinking about studying for decades. So this is not just simple, superficial tips. This is, if you're really interested in this, if you want to be, if you want to go deep into this, then, uh, then, then we've got plenty of good stuff for you. And then that leads to the, the seventh chapter, which is uh, about managing and transforming 
uh, conflict. And the reason it comes last is, of course, uh, you have to be able to do all of this stuff in, in, in a normal situation before you can apply it in a conflict situation. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, there's an old uh, ancient saying from a, a Roman philosopher who said, uh, anyone can hold the helm when the sea is calm. So what happens when there's a storm, though? How well will you steer under those conditions? So uh, uh, this is something I've been fascinated by for, for years. I, you know, I teach martial arts. I teach Aikido. Uh, I study and teach Tai Chi, Qigong. So I really look at conflict and what works uh, and and apply that to, again, our personal relationships, our business relationships. And, and I'll share just one, you know, one thing, which if we could just, like if people say to me, if I could get one, one point across, maybe from the whole book, what would I, what would I share? And it's, it's, it's understanding the difference between a conflict and a contest. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, you know, I love sports. I just had a guy over here six foot nine used to play basketball for Fordham uh, and we were talking about you know, college and the NBA and uh, what, how much we love basketball and you know but what, the reason it's exciting is because you keep score uh, uh, you know we just had the the US Open uh, we want you know we're keeping score because there has to be a winner and there has to be a loser you know Rafael Nadal was the winner because he just scored better than his opponent and so on uh, so sports contests, you need to keep score. There's a winner and a loser. That's the nature of it. That's what makes it interesting and fun. The problem comes when we think about conflict in the same way we think about a contest. If you have a conflict with your spouse or your children or the people on your team, or if you're in accounting and there's a conflict with the people in human resources, and you have a model of a contest of, well, I'm going to win and they're going to lose. You create a suboptimal situation, to put it nicely. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. it's an inappropriate way. Of, the, the way to think about a, a contest is, 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 how do I win? The way to think about a conflict is, how do I meet the needs of the various parties involved. Now, as you can imagine, the more senior you become in any kind of business, the more skilled you need to become at meeting the needs of various constituencies. Mm-hmm. You got to keep human resources help uh, happy. You got to keep accounting happy and sales and production. Uh, and that's, that is a very challenging thing to do so if you're thinking if you're thinking in terms of well you know I'm gonna I'm gonna win and they're gonna lose you're not gonna you're not gonna do a great job so yeah you won't so be a strong change. leader in that regard that's exactly. for sure exactly exactly so you got to change your the way you think of the whole thing uh-huh. uh, 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 and then you know once you once you change the way you think then all the previous skills become really important. Then you want to think, okay, well, how do I make a connection even though I'm, I might be 
have very different view of what ought to happen here. Uh, how do I first just connect with this other person on a human level uh, so that we can be in rapport before we start looking for actual solutions? Uh, so you see every, you know, everything in the book builds on everything else in the book. Uh, so that's a pretty that's an overview of this of the seven skills. That's great. Now it's interesting hearing you talk about all this because one thing I'm thinking to myself the whole time is you must be a bit of a historian based off your book titles and, and some of the different topics you bring up. Is that the case? Well, I think that obviously you know if, if we want to learn as much as possible from the experience of others, and if we can learn from, I mean, it's great to learn from people in in your own life who are more experienced than you are but if we can learn from the experiences of the greatest business leaders who ever lived the greatest political leaders you know Winston Churchill uh, the most creative people who ever lived that's you know why I wrote a book about da Vinci uh, the greatest innovator who ever lived that's why I wrote about Thomas Edison so figure out you know, what you want to learn, what do you want to be good at, and then study the people who are the best, uh, uh, whether they're alive now or whether they're from uh, a previous era. Uh, learn as much as you can and then keep applying it. That's awesome. Now, you wrote a book called innovate like Edison and I have yes. to I know this is probably an enormous question but what's okay what what's the how about this what is the number one key to innovate like Edison great well thank you uh, well the funny thing is uh, I wrote that book uh, uh, in 1998 I published this book called how to think like Leonardo da Vinci and thank God it became a huge bestseller it still is uh, so a number of years later, I got a call from this woman named Sarah Miller Caldecott. And she told me, she said, I read your book on Leonardo da Vinci. I was really inspired. And then she said these wonderful words. She said, I'm Thomas Edison's great, great, great grandniece. Uh, wow. And she said, yeah. And uh, she told me she had an MBA from Dartmouth and she's a great lady. We really hit it off. And I got this entrepreneurial light bulb idea right in the first phone call with her wow, we should write a book together uh, on Edison. And the, you know, we, we identified these five competencies together uh, uh, that Edison brought to create the world's first innovative culture. But if I had to choose one of them, if there's one idea, it would be to always be solution-oriented. Uh, uh, always focus on solutions. Edison was wildly optimistic. He always felt that there was a solution to seeming seemingly impossible problems. You know, one year before he got the light bulb to burn for 13 and a half hours, at which point he knew he could illuminate the entire planet. One year before that, the head of the British Royal Institution of Science, which at the time was the world's leading scientific organization, said practical incandescence is utterly impossible. <laughs> I cut, so here's a top scientific mind in the world saying, no way, he didn't say it would be difficult, hard, long shot, no, he said, utterly impossible. Edison said there must be a solution 
kept working at it within a year he had it so wow. if i would share one thing it would be solution orientation uh, uh, and that that kind of just irrepressible optimistic vision great yeah that's great advice um now i don't how many books have you written by the way uh the art of connection is number 15 Oh wow! Okay, so you you wrote even more books than I'm aware of. Okay, well let me let me ask you a question about this because uh, one of the books that you know caught my interest as well is Think Like Leonardo Da Vinci. Yes. Let's uh, let's go the same route. What is one thing? What's the number one thing that you need to do to think like Leonardo Da Vinci? Well, in, in How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci, I identified these seven principles for thinking like history's greatest genius. But if I would, if I, if I give you one, since that's what you asked for, it would probably be the fifth principle, which is learn to balance your artistic mind with your scientific mind. In other words, learn to be logical, linear, analytical, step by step, and learn to be spontaneous free-flowing, highly imaginative, and playful. And as a matter of fact, if we look at the greatest geniuses who ever lived, they all embodied that, that fifth da Vinci principle. And again, I don't just write about these things theoretically. The reason how to think like Leonardo da Vinci has been uh, and continues to be such a huge bestseller is I actually guide the reader based on Leonardo's real advice on, on how you can develop these da Vinci capacities. Okay, gotcha. All right, Michael. Well, you're certainly uh, we appreciate you coming on the show with us today. Um, you know, My pleasure. Just, just just a wealth of knowledge. And um, okay, so the other thing too is people, you can get his book now. Where can we find your book, The Art of Connection? Oh, thanks. Uh, it, it's uh, probably best thing to do is just go to my website. Go to michaelgelb.com. That's G E L B. Michael Gelb. Dot com and there's you can click on a link to get the book you can read some free articles you can see some cool video and learn about all of uh, the fun stuff that we'll be offering uh, we tend to put more and more stuff on that website there'll be more blogs more information more exchange coming up and uh, so people can sign up for our free newsletter if they like and uh, michaelgelb.com excellent well once again thank you and um you know, you can also probably pick up one of his other 300 books he wrote there and uh, <laughs> and um, and then learn more about what you do. Um, and, and, you know, you do speaking gigs and, and everything else. So, you know, everybody can go ahead and jump on his website, see what he does. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely YouTube videos. He's got so much information out there. So check that out. And um, once again, Michael, thanks for coming on the show. It's been really great having you and um, love, love the information you shared with us today. Thanks so much. My pleasure. If you want more information to multiply your health and simplify your lifestyle, visit our website at excelpodcast.com. Until next time, have an outstanding day.